This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. We all stood right here and saw what happened to Robert Gibson. He was carried off, obviously, with a serious injury. And two men, Arn Anderson and the world champion Rick Flair, very happy about it. Tony Giovanni, what you just witnessed is Robert Gibson getting in bed with the big dogs. You understand what I'm saying? It's reason real easy to come out here and pick your opponents, Gibson. You want to get in bed with the four horsemen, then you got to pay the fiddler. Now, Dusty Rhodes, I want to hit you real hard right now because the bashes are coming up. And you're talking about coming out here and standing women on their head. You're talking about being the dealer. Well, all through tradition, Dusty Rhodes, in order to be the dealer, you got to hold the cards. And as you see, here are the cards, along with Tully Blanchard and the Midnight Express. So you want to be the dealer, Rhodes? Forget about being tough on a local level. Come get the big dogs. But Dusty Rhodes is the toughest guy in studio wrestling I've ever seen in my life. You come out on your big dogs and tell them how bad you are that I got to deal with you. Well, this is the dealer. This is the dealer. And it's mine. And little bitty Ricky Morton knows it. And Gibson knows it. Ha, ha, ha. That's right. A lot of guys try to walk the line. And you know what? They get their butt beat. Because when you go to bed with the big boys, you're going to feel some pain in the morning. You understand? Now, Road Warrior Hawk, let me tell you something, buddy. I've walked over better men than you to sidestep a looking gal on the way to the restroom. What you don't like about me is that I'm rich. I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. You know where you were born? In the gutter. You're trash. You grew up lifting weights while I was whining and dining. Ooh, beautiful women. And let me tell you something, buddy. Listen real close. You are Chicago gutter trash. I am a fluent society. We are the world champions. And Hawk, when I see you in Philadelphia, at the 30 minute mark when you're going, please, please, nature boy, finish me off. I can't, I can't, I can't lift these big arms. And then it works. In the words of the great one, what cause in all this? Woo! <laughs> we'll be back right after this. Place to be Nation Wrestling Network fans, welcome to episode number 47 of NWA Crock and Roll. 
I am the host for this evening. I'm in the hot seat. My name is Cal McDougall. Uh, Sean is currently away, getting a well-earned rest after globetrotting to the uh, the different um, Crockett Cup proposed locations. Uh, going to see all the bids from the different the different uh, cities around the world. Um, so Sean is putting his feet up for these uh, these next couple episodes, but uh, hopefully you'll still be in safe hands with the three remaining horsemen. Um, Joining us tonight, uh, first off, is the co-host of the NWA Saturday special each and every week on this fine network. It is Dr. G. Dr. G, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Sean always gets the good jobs, though, huh? Gets to, to check out all the sites, you know, probably having some fun. I know he's been he's been here, there and everywhere taking on all. I mean, he's probably he's seen, the, he's seen the Sydney Opera House, he's seen Big Ben, he's seen... He's seen everyone. All, all we've seen is Wahoo McDaniel. Yeah, yeah, he leaves us with Wahoo McDaniel, but, but, uh, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll hold out. We'll hold down the fort. I'm sure we'll do a good job. We we got a great great crew here. Absolutely. I also holding down the fort with us um, is a man who, by the time you listen to us, if you listen to it on the day that drops, could be in a gutter somewhere in the middle of Nashville, Tennessee, as it is SummerSlam weekend. It is Scott Shifflett. Scott, good evening. This uh, may be my last will and testament, so I just want to get everyone on board with this. And I think it's real rich of Sean to take to go globe trotting, and then he still picks somewhere in the United States for the Crockett Cup. I just think he wanted some anytime miles. Well, yes, I, I mean I can't, it's I, I can't argue with that at all. I think there's been some, I think there's been some um, possibly expenses fraud, um, certainly some fraud for his American Airlines loyalty points. Um, but he has been saying that he's been wanting a trip to Baltimore for the current NWA Crockett Cup, so I think there's been a bit of insider trading there. I think you've, I think you've, uh, you've caught on to something. Yeah, I mean he goes to Sydney and everything, and then it's just Baltimore, Maryland. It's like, what are we doing? I know it's like of all the places. I mean Baltimore's probably a very nice place, but surely we trip to the other side of the world for us all would have been, would have been quite nice. But we'll we'll take that up with him in the in, in the. Uh, in the, uh, in the coming episodes, whenever he shows his face back up around these offices. <laughs> um, so, uh, this episode, number 47, uh, is going to cover um, the last couple of weeks in May. We're going to start on May 17th, um, all the way through to the worldwide episode on May the 31st, uh, before moving on to um, the, the remainder of May 31st. That was a, a big day in episode 47. But we start off, as always, with the Roll Call of Champions. Um, your NWA World's Heavyweight Champion is, of course, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Your US Champion is Magnum TA. Uh, National Heavyweight Champion is Tilly Blanchard and the world television champion is uh, Arn Anderson Denny Brown is still your world junior heavyweight champion, Midnight Express are still your tag team champions your world six man tag team champions are still the Russian team and Black Bart is still your mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion so as we said we start off uh, this episode with um, the May the 17th world championship wrestling um, and we have JJ and Tully coming to the desk to discuss Ronnie Garvin. Uh, Tony um, starts off by asking uh, JJ Dillon um, about Ron Garvin's hand. JJ tells Tony that all the guys on the other side of the dressing room look up to Dusty Rhodes and Dusty is trying hard to justify as to why all the hardware is on their side of the dressing room uh, to the point that the building is tilting, uh, which I think is a fantastic line. 
JJ believes that the other locker room are so out of ideas that in desperation, Gavin says that he'll tape, uh, he wants to tape Tully's fist um, in the hopes that Bob Geigel will allow Ron to tape his again. Tully then gives his two cents, saying that he's humiliated Dusty Rhodes time and time again, and that he's a professional wrestler and doesn't need his fists taped to him. Um, and that's why he pinned uh, Dusty's shoulders to the mat um, and tells Dusty to tell all the others that the same will happen to them. JJ closes out by pointing out the uh, pointing out that the belt that Tully is holding is says uh, national heavyweight wrestling champion and not punching or boxing. Um, a pretty good interview from both guys, both getting their points across. Um, and as we've mentioned uh, from a lot of JJ and Tully's interviews, neither of them are, neither of them are, are lying. Uh, they may be potentially stretching the truth, to be fair, um, but they do make a valid point. Um, so time and again, they're they're, they're um, sort of being being the textbook here where you you sort of sympathise with them. Um, but a nice a nice segment to, to open up the episode. Doctor G, what are your thoughts on it? You know, I have to say, uh, JJ and Tully, when they do interviews together, there's a there's a connection there because they just really play off each other very well. And like you said, they what they're saying is the truth. It's just the way they go about saying it. It sounds heelish, but they're not saying anything that's not true. And that's mm-hmm. what's so great about them. And that's why they're such great heels. And um I just love the fact that even though JJ's the manager, you know, a lot of times they have when they had managers, it was to help somebody that wasn't really good on the stick. But when you have uh, a guy that you're managing that's also good on the stick, it's just the the, the way they play off each other is just phenomenal. And um, you know, I love when he's you know, showing the belt. What does that say on the belt? It doesn't say, <laughs> you know. You know, it doesn't say boxing or whatever. You know, it says wrestling. You know, I just love. I just love. Um, you just feel it. I, I just love these interviews. Every time I watch this stuff and I'm like, wow, that is just what is missing in today's wrestling. Now, again, because we know too much now, it's, you know, we're behind the curtain now more than we ever were. But they just you just felt like these guys all really hated each other, you know, when they were going against each other. So, again, just another phenomenal interview by Tully and JJ together. Uh, and you know they're right up there. I mean the horsemen. I mean there's not one of them that can't talk. That's for sure. Yeah, I I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. JJ and Tully just seem like a match made in heaven as a manager and client. Um, and it's strange that, that yeah you're right. The horsemen don't necessarily need a manager because they can all talk. But JJ adds a bit of a bit of gravitas to it, and it's it's quite strange to think that imagine. Would Tully and JJ even be together if uh, Buddy Landell hadn't flaked out? Um, that's a, that could be a sliding doors moment where Tully and JJ never. If Landell can keep his head straight, and JJ listen, and Tully don't don't make, don't team up. You're right, and and I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right there. You know, if Buddy Landell was able to keep it keep himself clean and do what he needed to do, we would would we even have the Horsemen? You know. Think about that. That's that's a that's a that's a strange that's yeah. a strange world to, to, to live in where you there's a wrestling business that doesn't have the four horsemen in it. It's true. Cool. Uh, great great stuff. Uh, Scott, what are your what are your thoughts on this opening promo? Um I, I agree with what everyone said, but one of my favorite lines was when JJ compared Dusty Rhodes to Helter Skelter and says all the baby faces look up to Dusty. 
I I don't know why, but that just made me laugh so much. And, you know, that is one of the things that, you know, history will look back on and it haunts Crockett when we get later on where it's like everything revolves around Dusty and like all the baby faces. But it also like has something good where I've enjoyed in wrestling and I hope um, not to get current, but I hope with uh, the changes that we've seen in WWE that, you know, all we go back to thinking all the baby faces are friends and all the heels are bad guys. That's one thing that uh, WCW and Crockett did really well. So I, I just enjoyed that, that little moment right there. Oh, you might get your, you might get your, you might get your wish because um, it, you can have all the criticisms of, of the man personally and his politicking. But one thing that you can't accuse Triple H of having is not having a mind for the business and he's a big obviously big flair fan so you might you might get that you might see some of old school nwa tropes come back into it um watch this space yeah big uh, yeah we're recording this on quite a big week uh, so we move on um and we move on to another promo it is this time arn anderson oh, we've got a couple of promos coming up should i say first up um Tony and David are um, at the podium. They're talking about all the various locations and festivities that are going to go down on the upcoming Great American Bash Tour. And the sheer amount of money they're throwing at this must be astronomical, um, as we talked about in our last episode. Um, Arn Anderson then comes out to the desk and hypes up the magnitude of the event once more and gives a recap of the uh, dynasty of the Four Horsemen discussing the various beatdowns and injuries inflicted on guys like Magnum. Uh, Sam Houston, Dusty, and Ricky Morton. Uh, he says that they were uh, they warned the horsemen, warned all of them about what was about to happen, um, and followed through on that warning and warns uh, Robert Gibson that he is the next one in line. Arn tells us uh, that everyone is asking sarcastically where the fourth horseman is, and he tells us that the fourth horseman is coming. Arn warns Dusty that at some point in the future, at the horseman's choosing in some place of the Sorry, at some some point in the future of the horseman's choosing, in some place of the horseman's choosing, Dusty Rose will pay for the damage he caused to the fourth horseman by he and the road warriors. A little bit later on, Dusty is out and first says that he saw the James boys leaving the arena as he came in and that they're like ships passing in the night. He then moves on to Arn's comments from earlier on, saying that it's just a matter of time before Dusty has all the gold around his waist, and then he outright mentions Ole, outright mentions Ole Anderson, whereas Arn sort of went out of his way not to mention him. Um, Dusty turns his attention to Flair, who he says is more concerned with women than he is with wrestling, which echoes a point that uh, I previously controversially made on this podcast. But he's talking so fast that neither the caption writer nor myself can really keep up. Um, I do make out that he says Baby Doll has something to say. And Baby Doll indeed does have something to say. And she has Jim Cornette in her sights. And she promises James E that by the time the Bash Tour ends, she will have embarrassed him. And that is something much worse than beating him. Um, I thought that this was another great Arn interview, but I was sort of baffled as to why he kept saying the fourth horseman and not mentioning Ole Anderson. It made me think at that point... I was getting my timelines mixed up and I thought we were going to get a different horseman than, than Ole coming back. Uh, it's almost as if they're trying to create some mystery that it might not be Ole um, by saying he's coming uh, then, uh, as opposed to he's coming back. 
Dusty is the one that mentions Ole when whether or not he meant it was debatable given how Aaron went out of his way not to mention him and the fact that Tony uh, Montana must have been doing the rounds backstage with the um, with the, the way that Dusty's, road, uh, Dusty's promo came out, it was a bit unintelligible at points. But two good interviews uh, to keep to keep all the all the storylines progressing. Uh, Scott, go to you first. What are your thoughts on uh, these couple of these couple of interviews? Uh, I, I thought the arm promo was great. Uh, it was weird that he did not mention Oli, like he said. Um, I loved how he called Ricky Morton a human scab. Um, <laughs> I laughed way too hard at that. Um, I, and I even have here how he set up the di- the recap of the dynasty, a.k.a. the horseman. Um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting. And then uh, with the Dusty promo, I have why is he holding baby doll like it like they're on like they're going to prom because that's how he was holding her. Um, and, and then baby doll calling out Cornette saying she's going to embarrass Cornette at the bash. So just been um, setting everything up and it looks like we might get a. a at least a baby dog cornet encounter. I just thought this was a really good segment. And and I agree with you, Callum. I thought we were, I was like, are we getting Lex already in the horseman? Because he kept saying the fourth one and it just threw me off as well. Yeah, I was I was racking my brains as to who it could be. I thought it was it, I, I thought it was a bit early for Lex. I was even thinking it might have been Barry Windham, but that's still a bit. Nay, eighty six is a, still a bit too early for Windham as well. So uh, it was a it was it was a bit strange. I don't know. I don't know if Dusty maybe called an audible backstage thinking this doesn't really make sense, or he was just too coked up to realise what he was doing and mentioned Dolly. Um, but yeah, very very strange. Um, Doctor G, what are your thoughts on it? So you know when I. What I took of it when Arn was talking or not mentioning Oli was that you see how they're planting the seed for the storyline of them eventually turning on Oli. They're not mentioning him. He's not being mentioned by name, by the horse. It's it's kind of, I mean, obviously we didn't know that at the time. So I'm not, I'm not saying like uh, I would have known that at the time. But now because we know what eventually happens. They're kind of planting that seed. I think that's just my opinion. That's why it's not he's being mentioned. And then going to Dusty's interview, it's so funny again, and we've talked about this many times, how they intertwine all these storylines. Like they had to make sure they mentioned the James boys. So the other storyline that kind of Dusty's in. And then, you know, then talking about Arn, you know, like it's just see how they go back and forth to kind of keep everything, keep the, the plant seeded into your head of everything that's going on. It's just amazing to me how they were able to, with all the different shows and, and, and everything, how they were able, and all the different storylines that like, you know, Dusty was sometimes in two or three storylines at a time, how they, you know, keep everything together and keep everything, you know, to where you knew where they were going to kind of go next. Um, I, I was just amazed. I'm just amazed by that, uh, how the the continuity and, and I'm sure we're going to find times where the continuity is not there, um, you know, based on maybe if somebody got hurt or whatever. But um, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, two pretty good interviews. Yeah. Dusty Rhodes sometimes seems like he when he talks really fast, he gets a little incoherent. I kind of agree with you. Um, but Arn is just Arn. Arn's his usual great self. Yeah, I, I like your I like your thinking about it's maybe maybe planting planting the seeds because we have seen on, on a couple of occasions that the sort of the long term storytelling that they've been that they've been using. So it'll be it'll be interesting well, to keep, keep keep an eye on that one. You know, Aaron's agitated. Mm-hmm. You know, where is he now? Come on, come back. You know, 
Well, I like that, but that'll be an interesting one to that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, and you make you make an excellent point about how and and the time that they've got they they progress the the different um storyline. So I'm looking through here. So you've got Arn talking. Arn is mentions the Horseman against Magnum and Dusty. You've got the Horseman against the Rock and Roll Express. You've got Dusty. You've got the James Boys. You've got Dusty against Flair. You've got Baby Doll against Cornet. So in, in two promos, you you progress at least five different five different storylines just by the just by mentioning them. And that's excellent, excellent use of the time. So, uh, thank you for picking for picking up on that. So we move on now to Jimmy Garvin addressing Wahoo McDaniel at the desk. Now, thankfully, Wahoo does not appear. Um, in this segment, uh, Garvin is at the desk with a VHS in hand, which is a backup of what we're about to see, um, which shows the end of that fucking tag match from the last one that caused a rant at the end of our last episode. But admittedly, it is the best bit where Wahoo gets dropped on his head with the brain buster on the outside. Garvin says that he had to drop him on his head with the brain buster on the outside. Um and he closes out the interview by saying that it's not his fault that he's the best wrestler and the best looking wrestler in the world today. It was a good interview. It was a good Jimmy Garvin interview, but I do still think it is a real waste of Garvin being involved with Wahoo. I can I can understand it to an extent because you've got the, the guy coming into the new territory and he's taking out one of the bigger names in it. But I do feel that, it's, that, that it is a waste for Jimmy Garvin, but don't want to keep labouring that point. Uh, Dr. G, uh, what are your thoughts on this quick this quick interview? You know, Jimmy Garvin, um, you know, he he's he's a good, you know, uh, upper mid-card guy that's that should be put into um, you know, should have one of those those belts that, you know, you know, you could see him being a national champion, a world television champion. Um, you know, definitely good on the stick, you know, uh, decent in the ring, nothing wrong. But I agree with you. I, I just, I hate that, you know, I would never have thought, I mean, I never, Wahoo never really did anything for me when I was a kid. Not that I disliked him. He just seemed like so much older, which, you know, compared to today, how, you know, how, how old the guys are now that are wrestling, uh, just a different era. I just, I agree with you. I just feel like, like Jimmy, Jimmy Garvin could be put in a better feud than this. And, um, I think we're just kind of getting bored of it. <laughs> I guess it's probably the best word. Yeah, it's just it's one of these things that that you you'll know better than me. Now, world class had been on national television by this point, had it not? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. yes, I believe. Yeah. So it's not as if people don't know who Jimmy Garvin is. Right. So, so I think it's just he could have been he could be doing a, a could be doing a lot better as uh, he does you know he has you know he has the valet that automatically brings you some heat um, you know he, you know always playing with his hair and oh he's the, the the best looking guy around you know like that whole heel way um, you know do I see him did did I ever see Jimmy Garvin as being a world champion no. But definitely uh, upper mid card kind of guy, or, you know, just a regular mid card guy, um, you know, with a mid card, one of the mid card titles, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, I could I could see him come in against 
Magnum if you ha- if you if you if you think back to the the feud that he that Magnum had with Flair about how Magnum was the was the the rough and ready biker guy and and Flair was the upmarket like yep. suit wearing pretty boy I think you could sort of rehash that and and, and get get yeah. Garvin into something a bit better. Again, Jimmy Garvin could work with you know with just about anyone just because the heel beat that he creates, um, people will want to see that match. Uh, I just think that I think for us because we've been watching so much stuff that we're just kind of not feeling it for Wahoo. You know, I I I I'd have to really go back and watch some of his matches from the '70s, and mm-hmm. maybe he was much more enjoyable to watch. But I just I just don't kind of get it. Uh, you know, it's kind of been disappointing actually because I thought we'd get better matches from him, and he's just at this point I just he's out of his league right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think I think we've maybe been soured on him because we've been watched a very specific timescale that he's that he's passed his prime. So it might be something. Um, I'm sure Sean has got has got something in the pipeline as we're going back to watch some of the matches before before our timeline. We might we might see some some good Wahoo stuff, but um, I'm not necessarily holding my breath on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, um, what is your thoughts on this this uh, quick um, hit from from Jimmy Garvin? Well, I'm always down to see Wahoo take a brain buster on the floor, as I'm sure you were as well, Callum. Absolutely. Um, uh, he also like he there's no way in hell he would get away with this today. What he kept calling Wahoo the Indian when he was talking during this promo, and also at the end he called out Baby Doll and said that she was a Jezebel. So maybe something starting with her and. Um, him and um, Precious. Possible, possible, because I think that would be a nice, would be a nice progression if he can get himself into something with, with Baby Doll. Um, yeah, with Baby Doll uh, and Dusty, perhaps. Yeah, because it moves it, move on, move on to something nice, uh, nicer than, than than Wahoo anyway. So as we said, at the, as we said at the top of the show, our very own Sean Kidd has been globetrotting to review some of the proposals from numerous cities, um, including London, Sydney, Rio de Janeiro, and as well as many others. Um, and Tony is joined at the desk by Gary Juster, who is going to announce the host of the 1987 Crockett Cup. Tony hypes the success of the 1986 tournament held at the Superdome, and nothing says success like 3,500 tickets sold in a 73,000-seater stadium. Tony notes that uh, Gary Juster is the youngest promoter in the NWA promoting in the city of Baltimore, which sort of gives away that the 1987 Crockett Cup will be held at the Baltimore Civic Centre. Uh, so as, as Scott says, uh, Sean's had all expenses paid by Jim Crockett Promotions to go around the world to pick Baltimore. Um, no wonder the Crockett's been out of business. Um, Tony then hypes up the Bash Tour stop at RFK Stadium, uh, which uh, Juster is promoting as well, as well as the um, upcoming event at the Civic Centre as the interview comes to a close. Fairly standard effort, not much to it other than the big announcement, um, although Juster seems far more comfortable than Mike than any other Crockett family not uh, family member not named David. Uh, but I am a sucker for this for, for this sort of thing um, on on. Um, NWA TV, so uh, it gives gets a big old thumbs up from me. Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on it? I'm shocked that Sean wasted all this time and money just to choose Baltimore when it's a dry, just a simple day's drive for him. Um, I, I do enjoy like it. This makes the Crockett Cup seem very important, though. 
because they're hyping it so far in advance, sort of like how WWE does with WrestleMania now. Like, we mm-hmm. already know either sometimes even before Mania where it's going to happen. So it makes it seem like a big deal, and I very much enjoy that. Yeah, because it didn't, they, I mean, it seemed like it was quite a quick turnaround from the press conference to say that the 86 effort was going to be at the Superdome, and now you're giving it, you're giving it a year's advance. So yeah, it does give it, it does give it that big. Um, it must have been fairly successful for them to to run it again and and do it and announce it so far in advance. So uh, good luck to them, as as all I say, and, and I'm sure we'll enjoy it when it comes round. Right, Doctor G, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I agree with uh, Scott. I was thinking that I was like, wow, you know, kind of a kind of how things are done today. You know, they were actually making it seem big, and even though it wasn't as successful as they wanted to, they're they're going with it. Uh, you know trying it again and making it seem like this is a very big deal. This is a, I mean, even though Starcade was kind of their flagship, but um, they were making this seem just as important as, as um, Starcade. Think about it. And, uh, you know, by making people like all oh, cities are bidding on this and, you know, it, kind of ahead of its time, if you think about it, because now really that stuff does happen. So, yeah, I, I mean, listen, the, the, Rocket messed up during this, you know, in the next couple of years, you will see. But they were from a family that promoted for a long time. So and they were successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they obviously knew what, knew somewhat what they were doing. It's just that they got care. Uh, Jim Crockett got careless with his money. But uh, but I like the fact of making it feel big. I mean, I kind of remember watching this as a kid. You know, you just felt like this, this, this. This is big. This is big time. You know, the million dollar prize, all that. You know, you, you know, you just. I just. I like. I like when it just makes when something make you make something feel big, big and and make championships or any kind of tournament mean something that there's actually something you're fighting for. Because I'm not a big tournament guy, but if you make make it where it feels very important, it, there's a big prize attached to it. Uh, it makes you want to watch it, and that's what they were trying to do. And I think they've sort of learned their learned their lesson, as you say. They've been doing this for long enough. That they, they they know they know what to do, but they also are you know can, can learn from their mistakes. And looking at the attendances for the next year's um, Crockett Cup, um, they, they do over two nights, opposed to the afternoon and the evening. But it's much more in line with what you would think. So they've obviously they've given it a year's they've given it a year's head start to to, to you know push, seeing that they, this is coming. Uh, it's not given a, a like a, a few weeks notice. Gary um, uh, wind up working for WCW and wind up, uh, you know, I think he still does stuff to this day. I was going to say because I reckon I did recognise his name. I don't know if he's still working for for the WWE or maybe he's at a, he's in AEW now. But yeah, right now, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not I don't quote me on that, but I know he was working for WCW. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Bischoff has mentioned him a bunch, and um, I, if I'm not mistaken, he may be actually working for AEW right now. Okay, so I, a guy with that, a guy with that longevity in his career doesn't. Uh, you don't get that sort of longevity without knowing what you're doing. So, um, good luck to him, and we'll we will see how that goes uh, when we get round to doing April of of 1987 at some point, probably in 2025. So that rounds off um, that edition of World Championship Wrestling. We now move on to the the following week, uh, the May 24th episode of Worldwide, with a match 
for the World Television Championship, it is the enforcer Arn Anderson against Wahoo McDaniel. So the first match of the episode, and it does un- unfortunately have to have to involve Wahoo. Um, thankfully, the video that we're watching uh, isn't of the best quality, so we might be blessed with not seeing how this how bad this match could end up being. The match starts off with some arm stalling before he takes the upper hand with some limb work before uh, that is stopped by Wahoo's first chop of the match and more stalling. Arn signals for a test of strength, but is but is uh, sucker punched by Wahoo, and then Arn bails out to the uh, bails to the outside again. Arn locks in a long headlock, which Wahoo struggles to counter out counter out of with a shin breaker, um, and Wahoo starts to work over Arn's leg. Uh, Wahoo's uh, uh, leg work continues for a while before Arn, Arn regains the upper hand and locks in a long shin lock. Uh, a rest hold less than five minutes into the match is always a good sign, um, which. Uh, and it's a five-minute match that's also involved a lot of stalling and very little moves, which required a, a modicum of effort on Wahoo's part. Um, so this is all very telling of how this is going to go. Arn keeps on the offence by stopping away at Wahoo and chokes him on the top rope before locking in another chin lock as Wahoo looks gasp beyond belief. Wahoo knocks Arn down with a big left hand and locks in another headlock. We are about seven or eight minutes into this match and Arn locks in the fifth chin lock of this match. Uh, Arn goes for the Godbuster, but Wahoo counters into a suplex for a two count. Arn kicks out and then rolls to the outside and begins to gesture that he's wait happy to wait for the time to expire. Um, obviously, the, given the, the it's a television title match, it does have the 10-minute time limit. Uh, Wahoo gives Arn a stun gun type move onto top rope as Arn is coming back into the ring before hitting a backbreaker for a two count and Arn yet again rolls out the ring to waste more time. Arn is, Arn is meant, met with a punch on his way back into the ring and then Wahoo whips him off the ropes into a big chop which Arn only escapes at two by getting his feet on the ropes. Arn, uh, Wahoo continues the offence in Arn and throws him over the top rope for the DQ victory for Wahoo. Yeah. I didn't get this match at all. Um, it does nothing for Arn to steal a, to steal retaining the title from Wahoo getting a cheap DQ loss. Um, and he was gesturing for the he, he stalled for a lot of the match. He gestured for the gestured for the clock to run down for the last couple of minutes. Um, I do not understand, based again based on our previous discussions, what Wahoo will bring to this promotion in 1986. He's long past his prime, and we had a 10 minute match with. Almost exclusively stalling for the first two minutes, followed by five rest holds, or five chin locks, and a couple of other rest holds for the remaining eight minutes. This did nothing for Arn Anderson. It was pointless and a complete waste of our time. I gave this half a star because I cannot bring myself to give Arn a dud because of Wahoo McDaniel. This was horrible. And that felt good. Scott, your thoughts? I agree 100%, Kyle. This match sucked. I, I gave it half a star as well, but like Arn did nothing in this match, and like it was like Arn like instead of like Wahoo working up to Arn's level, Arn worked down to Wahoo's level, and I I kind of hate like it was okay at first seeing Arn killing the clock as a gimmick, but like this is like the third or fourth time we've seen him do this with TV title matches, and it just gets real annoying. And then, like you said, we couldn't get, like, you know, the Gord Buster on Wahoo. That probably would have killed Arn, gave him a hernia, or give him the DDT or something. Mm-hmm. But 
just throwing him over the top rope for a like a nothing match. I, I swear this match felt like it took twenty minutes. It was so bad I had to stop watching and just like go do something else because I was so frustrated by the end of it. I I had messaged Sean and asked him why he was trying to kill me. <laughs> it, it it's just so bad. Like it, Callum with with that couldn't even do it just justice. He made the ma- match least seem kind of interesting, but it is horrible. I, 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 some matches you cannot recommend enough. I just cannot recommend that anyone watch this match. I was, I, I was the same, Scott. I was, I stopped doing the notes. I stopped watching, the, the, doing the research for this episode for three days after watching this. It was, oh, it was oh, awful. you're fired up. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm meant to be professional tonight as well. Um, oh, man. Yeah. Hey. Dr. G, what are, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, you know, there's not much more I could say that you guys didn't say. I agree. I, uh, uh, Scott did great point. I was going to say the same thing that, uh, you know, uh, it seemed like Arn worked down to Wahoo's level. I mean, and this is a guy, again, Wahoo, that's been uh, at this point probably been in the business for at least 20 years. And it's just, I don't know, he's just, like you said, he's just way past his prime, um, just did nothing for me. And uh, I'm definitely interested in see what Sean rated it. <laughs> well, funny you should ask, Dr. G, because I have Sean's ratings for every match that we've got oh, on these oh. next couple episodes. Do either of you want to hazard a guess? Now, I will give you it within the nearest, the, the nearest half star what Sean rated this match. Oh, mine's a half star, by the way. So. Oh, perfect. We're all we're all in agreement now. Uh, so, what do you, uh, do you care to hazard a guess? What Sean rated this one? A star and a half. Doctor G. Something tells me he did like two stars or something on this. I don't know why, but I- so we had a consensus at half a star. Sean gave this one two and one quarter stars. Are you shitting me right now? No. <laughs> 2.25 was he watching? stars. Well, we, we were not watching the same match. Though. I don't think we were. He said, I, so he, he, his, his confirmation in this, I asked some of the guys in the Impact chat, so that's that's the highway to the Impact Zone guys, to watch it too to make sure I wasn't crazy. So it wasn't just me. You have me seeking confirmation on Wahoo matches now. One of them said two and a half. Well, they're used to watching TNA, so... Yeah, well, yes, anything's better than than some of the direct they've watched. But, Scott, if you're listening, um, I think that should be validation enough that you should probably cancel Highway to the Impact Zone. Um, or, 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 yeah, or, or at least give them at least give them a, 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 a telling. You're telling me somebody gave two and a half stars to that? Mm-hmm. He, he, he didn't name names. What, what, either we're... Either we're messed up or they're not. where do you see two and a half stars in that where do you see two stars two and two uh, i don't even see a star <laughs> I, nothing nothing happened like what was that I, mi- when, when when we say everyone listening when we say nothing happened in this match it, nothing happened other than and maybe i need to be drunk when i watch this next time or oh, i think so was well, Sean's obviously, Sean's obviously just on a high after coming back off of his holiday. Sean is pretty close when it comes to rating, but not on this one. 
You're talking to someone who gave Magnum and Wahoo in that cage, I think, like four stars, and I think Callum nearly had a coronary. <laughs> I did. I was ready. I was ready to pack in. Though I was ready to hand in my resignation letter at that point. <laughs> but this is god. This is a god awful match. Like I, I would rank it up there as one of the worst matches I've seen. And I watched a Jeff Jarrett and Jerry Lawler match from 2012, where they did nothing <laughs> for 20 minutes. We wow. have we have seen some awful matches on on this on this the, the journey we've been on in this podcast. This is down there with some of the worst. I mean, this might be the worst match we've watched. This is worse than any Valiant match we've seen. This is worse than any of the stuff we saw from Houston. Match I've seen because you know Arn was in it. Like you said, Arn didn't do too much, but but it's definitely yeah. not. I, we, I think we were being nice, but I definitely. I, 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 to, how could somebody give it two and a half stars? I can't get off of that. I've, I've, I have, I, I, I have I, no I, idea. I, I'm gonna have to go back and watch it again after the episode. I, I, I would no, don't, don't do that to yourself. I because you only just yeah, get why angry. would you do such a thing? Like, yeah. I, I may hurt, but I'm just like I, I've been, I'm trying to figure out if I missed something because I feel like I missed something that I don't know. <laughs> the, the only logical conclusion that I can come to is that we we didn't watch the right match, <laughs> or, or or they haven't been given the right match to watch because we've obviously all watched the same one because we've all ranked it at zero point five, and I think we've we've only given it zero point five. I know, from speaking personally, I've given it zero point five because I didn't want to give Arm as a dud of the basis that he had to work with Wahoo. I didn't want to give Arm a Wahoo dud. Um, but to get to get over two stars and, and whoever did two and a half really really does need that really does need a, a, a talking to. Wow, Oof. I'm just like my, my brain hurts from that. Like it, whew. they they went outside so many times that I I thought they were just taking smoke breaks. <laughs> and. I was listening to thing. I don't know if either of you guys have watched, I've listened to Regal's podcast, but he talked about how he used the time limit to his advantage and, and what he his his thought process on it is the opponent needs to beat me, I don't need to beat the opponent. So he would just wrestle them and just keep wrestling them until the time limit expired because he didn't necessarily need to beat them. But Arn stalled. And I don't blame him for stalling because they are, there is nothing he could have done to salvage this. Anyway, yeah. we, 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 we must move on up because we could talk about this for we could talk about this for hours. So we move on to the uh, later on in the day, May twenty fourth, Saturday night, and we open with a promo from the Russian team. Now, the Russians are at the desk with Tony, and for the first time on this podcast, they are no longer the world six-man tag team champions. Ivan shouts about the plot against the Russians by Dusty, the Road Warriors, the NWA, and Jim Crockett Promotions, saying it's unfair that they put them in a cage match whilst Crusher Khrushchev was injured. But they have a rematch clause, and they will have their rematch within 30 days. Ivan then turns his attention to Magnum TA, saying the delay in getting the contract signed off by the Kremlin was that they wanted to make sure Magnum was a worthy enough opponent for Nikita. Mm. Ivan reiterates that they agree to the terms set out by Magnum TA and are actually waiting on Jim Crockett Promotions to give them the press conference that they demanded. David then butts in, confronting Ivan about all 
uh, the talk that he's done, saying that Nikita can't cut it anymore, and that's why he's delaying with the match, absurdly saying that Nikita is overweight as he stands there in absolutely excellent shape. Ivan says Nikita can beat Magnum at any time and any place, and Nikita says that he needs to worry less about what Ivan says and more about what Nikita is going to do to him as the interview ends. We then move on to the uh, Road Warriors. Uh, the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering are at the podium with their new six-man tag team title trophy. Ellering goes on about how he'll defend the titles within 30 days before Baby Doll comes out to thank Ellering for throwing an awesome victory party, which, to be fair, must have went well because she still looks as if she's feeling the effects of it. She closes up to the Road Warriors and tells Jim Cornette to have a good look at the picture because it could be his doomsday in the future. Baby Doll exits stage left by saying that Dusty Rhodes has proclaimed June Kiss a Road Warrior Month. Animal repeats Baby Doll's threat before he turns over to Hawk and they turn their attention to Ric Flair. Hawk tells Flair that soon he will find out how twisted he can be. Hawk continues to ramble on about being from the street and how and about how Flair isn't uh, that good with the ladies. Uh, two promos that attempt to cover a lot of ground here. Um, they use their time well, but Hawk was a standout poor performer. He kept rambling on with seemingly no idea what to say next. Um, the I guess the absurd comment that Nick um, that Nikita is overweight aside, I thought it was I thought it was very good. Although it was a bit head scratching that Ivan said that um, the Kremlin wanted to make sure that Magnum was a worthy enough opponent for Nikita when the whole point is Nikita wants to win the US title, so Magnum must be a worthy enough opponent. But um, other than that, um, a couple of a couple of slight plot holes aside and an absurd comment from David Crockett, I thought they were they were they were too good enough. Uh, too good enough uh, pros. Uh, Dr. G, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again, here you see uh, the first, you know, the Russian speaking, you're talking about losing the six-man title, um, which I hated the trophy thing. I'm glad when they went to, to championship belts, um, by the way, but yeah, you're right about it. And then, then they transitioned to the Magnum Nikita feud, and basically, I'm saying uh, the Kremlin wanted to sign off on that. that. That's that's just heel heat right there. That's what you're doing. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, obviously they want to win the U.S. belt, so in order to do that, they have to face uh, Magnum T.A. But that they're just just using some heel heat there. And then the Road Warriors, and then you know mentioning about Dusty. There is Dusty's in another storyline. <laughs> and um, you know baby doll coming out and them talking about partying and and you know hawk uh hawk sometimes he always looks like he definitely was taking a lot of stuff back, back in those days um but uh yeah i mean two good enough promos uh you know um nothing spectacular but but nothing uh you know again just keeping all the storylines together um you know you know what it was what, like three storylines right there just in those between those two promos so it's just amazing again how they just kept intertwining everybody and and dusty always seems to be in the middle of all of it if you if you notice so you can tell he was the booker oh yeah i mean what was it that what was it that sean called him uh, right at the very start was it hand in the jar dusty he's always got his hand in some he's always got his hand in the jar somewhere yep um so some things never change uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on these these two promos? 
Well, I enjoyed the Kolok promo, and I love how we they showed the footage of how the Road Warriors and Dusty beat the Russians for the six the six man tag. Nice little highlight. Um, you know, Ivan saying a rematch will happen, and like Ivan seemed like he was all over the place, but you got the job done because uh, and then Nikita's finishing with saying Magnum will see the real Russian nightmare, which I thought was a very nice line because we know Nikita can't really cut a promo, but if you give him that little sound bite like that. And that's perfect. Like, you know, j- just saying that he'll see that Russian nightmare. Whew, this Road Warrior promo. I think uh, uh, Hawk must have done a bump before he walked out here because, oh my goodness gracious, um, Baby Doll coming out and saying the victory party was awesome. It's like, you know, she doesn't have to be included in everything. But then she somehow was able to call Cornette out in the middle of this promo. Mm. The Kiss of Road Warrior month. And then, like, Hawk moves on to Flair. And he says this line where he says, Flair only gets girls is because there's a man shortage. I I don't think he knows what that means. I don't even know what that means, but I don't think it's an insult. Um, and then he just says stuff about Flair's sexual orientation. That's another line that would not fly today. Um, yeah, it's like he had like 30 seconds of material and they said, go cut a promo for two minutes. Because my man was all over the place. But it uh, looks like we're going to have a Flair and Hawk match, which if he can get a working match out of Hawk, then Flair really might be the greatest of all time. Yeah, I think there's been a more than more than one occasion now that we've seen that Hawk obviously comes out with bullet points. Either forgets what his bullet points are or realises halfway through he doesn't have enough bullet points to fill the time. Um, and it just sort of, it just sort of rambles on. Um I think he's better with the with the. They've got Paul Ellering standing behind them, and he does barely any talking. Um, so yes, very very strange, and be interesting to see uh, a potential flare hot match down the line, as you say. So we move on to our next uh, match. It is a tag team match pitting Arn Anderson and Ric Flair against Rocky Carnado and the Italian Stallion. Uh, a big match here on television with Arn and Flair teaming up. Uh, the match begins quite evenly and we see Canodo get the better of Flair for a short period before Flair bails to the outside. Rocky gets a two count on a backslide on Flair and the baby faces get some time to work over Arn's, Arn's arm, which is a lot harder to say than it is to write it down. Flair and Arn eventually get the momentum and start working over Stallion as David is all sombre on, on the announcing comparing the beatdown to the stallion to the one that the horseman put down on Morton. The horseman continues to grind stallion as Flair starts to talk shit to David Crockett from the apron. Flair lays in some chops, but they aren't met with the traditional woos at this point in time, which is very strange to hear in 2022. Flair misses an elbow drop, which allows Carnado to get to tag in, eh, but Flair meets him before he can make it to the ring and the horseman stay in control. Eh, Dusty, uh, or somebody in the back, is clearly high uh, on uh, Rocky Carnado as he is the one that's getting all the good offence on Ric Flair um, and he makes the lukewarm tag back to Stallion who gets the better of Flair momentarily before Flair counters a monkey flip attempt. Flair takes down Stallion with a suplex and locks in the figure four lead lock for the win. Flair then gets on the apron and is sarcastically calling out the Rock and Roll Express and wouldn't you know it, here comes Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson and chaos ensues. The, uh, the Rock and Roll Express are getting the better of the horsemen as we go to break, but we come back to see Ricky Morton nursing a bad eye uh, and Robert Gibson being 
tended to by some of the face locker room, including Valiant, uh, Jimmy Valiant, Magnum TA, Ronnie Garvin, and of course, Wahoo McDaniel. Um, and they all carry an injured Robert Gibson away from the yeah. ring. Uh, a little bit later on in the night, Arlen Flair are at the podium. Uh, proudest punch at what they've just done moments before. Arn tells Robert Gibson that it's easy to pick your opponents, but this is what happens when you want to get involved with the big dogs. He turns his attention to Dusty and the Great American Bash Tour. He says that Dusty calls him the dealer, but it's Arn and Tully who hold all the cards. Excuse me. He say, uh, Arn says that Dusty calls himself the dealer, but it's Arn and Tully that hold all the cards, so he has to come to them. Flair reiterates the dealer metaphor, but in a more coked-up fashion, before, starts, before he starts calling out all of his potential Great American Bash opponents in the form of Ricky Morton and Road Warrior Hawk. Again, all very coked-up. Um, I thought this was a, a good TV match. Both Arm and uh, Flair gave a lot to Carnodo, uh, and Stallion was, was serviceable. Uh, an interesting post-match angle, and then your typical uh, horseman promo that we all know and love. Um, I gave a gentleman's two on the match and I, I, I quite enjoyed the, the promo afterwards and, of course, the, the, the post-match. Uh, Scott, go to you first for your thoughts on uh, both the match and the, and the interview at the end. Yeah, the match, I don't, just, I don't know if that Wahoo match killed everything for me because I only gave this a, a star and three quarters. It just didn't really seem like much to me. I thought that Flair was given too much offense, in my opinion. Um and I have a note here. Why does the Italian stallion look like Matt Hardy? Um, <laughs> Flair put it on the figure four and stallion just gives up. The post-match was great. And um, your comment about, I have that written down too, with Arn saying Robert Gitson is in bed with the big dogs now. That's just like, he's so ferocious with it. He's like, yeah, you're playing in the kiddie pool now. And now you're like in the deep end. Yeah, it was, but, uh, but then, uh, sorry, then Arn saying sure. that Dusty... Um, isn't tough and flair says he's the dealer because he's the champ um and then like flair calls out hawk and said that hawk was born in the gutter and trash says hawk chicago gutter trash um and flair (laughs) you know we're you know this little shoot inside comment right here flair says hawk will be unable to breathe at 30 minute mark and it's like oh wow so we're um you know, I forgot that I've even written this down but that's what I said before uh, when I was talking about that hawk promo but flair Flair was letting Hawk have it there, <laughs> and, and and quite right so. Oh, um, very much so. But it was just like wow for him. Like I don't. I'm sure that went over like 99 percent of the people's heads. But like you know, because it's not like the Observer was big time yet. This is 1986, so like you know they they have those other little small, you know, quote unquote dirt sheets. But they'd be like, what is he talking about? Not able to breathe at the 30 minute mark. Yikes! I'm, I'm sure the, the folk that go to the Great American Bash Tour will soon find that out. Hey, so good stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, reasonably, reasonably enjoyable match there for Scott, Doctor G. What are your thoughts? I'd, I'd like you. I mean, uh, I gave you know, gentlemen's two for the match. Uh, yeah, I, you know, Scott, I agree with you. You know, Flair did sell, but that that's his that's his thing on television. He always kind of sells probably more than he really needs to or should, but um, that's more just to kind of keep the crowd into it and, you know, maybe give the crowd a thing uh, and the people watching at home could, could, could Flair and Arn actually get beaten this match. But, um, you know, in the end, you know, Flair does his thing. Uh, I like the post-match stuff. Um, 
it's funny you're saying that, Scott. That there, you know, I think I heard one way. Was it? I don't know if it was Arn that was saying it on a podcast. That you know, a lot of sometimes they they did jab each other in their promos. You know, where maybe the average person at home wouldn't know. I mean, obviously the smart fan today would pick up on it, but back then people didn't pick up on it. And it definitely Flair was throwing his jabs. Um, you know, at Hawk in this, uh, um, this, uh, in that interview. So, um, you know, it's good stuff. Good, good, good catch on your part too, you know, but I think that's just cause we're just different types of fans today. We can catch onto those things a little bit more than, you know, I, I definitely probably didn't catch it when I watched it the first time when I was younger. So, uh, but you know, pretty good stuff. I mean, uh, I like when you get to see Flair in a TV match in the studio every so often. You know, it kind of makes it feel big. It kind of makes it feel uh, um, a little different. We get to see the World Heavyweight Champion. So it was good stuff. I enjoyed it. Good stuff. Yeah, something something uh, novel to um, something novel to see uh, Ric Flair on on Saturday night. Uh, sure enough. So we move on uh, to uh, another interview. Um, Tony is at the podium with Steve Regal, who's making his first appearance on the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, it is the Steve Regal of the Mr. Electricity variety and not the Blue Blood variety. Regal says that he's very grateful to be in the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotions and saying uh, that he isn't going to boast about being the biggest or the strongest, but he tells us that he's travelled the world mastering his craft. He goes after Magnum TA, the Rock and Roll Express and the Road Warriors and goes as far as saying that he isn't scared of the Road Warriors. He says that he doesn't mind who he faces, be it Magnum TA, Dennis Brown, uh, going very formally, or even teaming with someone to go against the Road Warriors. Um, I love his enthusiasm, but he, uh, to say that he's going to go against the Road Warriors, you've got to aim, aim high and all that, but he, realistically, he's not going to get higher than Denny Brown, is he? Um, but all in all, Decent enough introductory um, interview here from Mr. Electricity. Um, so interested to see where this one goes. Uh, Dr. G, what are your thoughts on the debut of Mr. Electricity, Steve Rio? I'm going to be honest with you. I do not remember him being in uh, Crockett. I remember him in the AWA. And mm-hmm. obviously, he, uh, I think he, in, was it he in Garvin? That were tag team champions together? Yes, I've just realised now that it's not his first appearance because we saw he and Garvin beat the Road Warriors, did they not, for the yeah. for the AWA? Yeah, so but I, I um I don't remember him. I mean I don't think he was there very long. I think he was only there maybe even you know six or seven months because I think he went to the WWF afterwards. Um yes. but uh, yeah, I don't think I don't. I, he was mostly used as a jobber, if I remember correctly. But, but anyway, yeah. I, I, I have to be honest. When I saw that, I was like, Steve Regal. I don't remember this, and I, I truly don't. Um, you know, he's just, just an introductory promo, just to kind of, kind of gain a little heat. Um, I mean, it was okay. Nothing, nothing to really write home about, but nothing like that was, you know totally got awful where you're like okay why is he on my screen but i just i totally did not remember this at all i I have to be honest i was very shocked when i saw this yeah i didn't i didn't have any knowledge of him ever being ever being in crockett i I did um 
check up on because yeah, I, I I know I, I know him exclusively as an AWA guy. Down a lot if I you know maybe, you know probably for the light heavyweight championship, but mm. uh, like at house shows and things like that. But yeah, I I, I checked up with our good friends at Cage Match, and um, he's in. Uh, I, I believe he was. They said the matches um, indicated that he was in the WWF by September or November. Oh. So he doesn't he doesn't last long at all. But um, hopefully he's here for a good time, if not a long time. And, and, and interesting to see where where this goes. Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts about this introduction to Mister Electricity? Oh man, this man. <laughs> um, I got real excited. So I was like, I didn't think Steve Regal showed up in WCW. Crockett till 93 and I was Lynn disappointed um, <laughs> mean this in the nicest way possible um, he looks like a mechanic like I'm pretty sure I had this guy work on my car before and then like he started calling out the bad guys um, you know started calling out the baby faces then he called out northern people randomly which if you're going to do that in Crockett wouldn't that make you a baby face so he's all over the place um, I guess good riddance <laughs> Since we won't yeah, see too much, I, I didn't think there was anything. Yeah, I, the good point on the northern part. I, I, you know what, I did have a little note about that. That would uh, kind of make no sense. But I mean, what I was saying is, is that I didn't remember him being there. And to me, it's like, who cares? You know, like I, he wasn't bad, but it was like, okay, where did he come from? And I, again, I didn't remember him. I think I was just more surprised that he was there. Maybe I got caught up in that moment because I did not remember him being in Crockett at all. But obviously, it didn't make that much of an impact then. <laughs> no, I would have, I would have died on the hill uh, of Steve Regal never turned up in Crockett. I'm, I'm still not convinced. And I've seen his interview. Um, so yes, mixed, mixed, uh, mixed reviews on uh, the the, the um, Steve Regal's uh, debut on Jim Crockett, Jim Crockett the promotions television. Um, but we now move on to the May 31st Worldwide, which will be the last Jim Crockett promotions action of this episode. Um, we see a world television title match between Arn Anderson and Hector Guerrero. Um, a fast start from Hector as he nails Arn with a springboard crossbody and then another crossbody off the top rope. Uh, the crossbody gets a two count before Tully comes in uh, and desperately breaks up the count for an immediate disqualification. Uh, Arn is holding Guerrero as Tully climbs to the top rope um, and they try to look to break Hector's arm uh, before the Rock and Roll Express come out to make the save as the customary nuclear pop from the crowd ensues. Uh, can't really rate this match uh, because it is just it is just a hot angle and the match um, would have been it was infinitely better anyway for not having Wahoo in it uh, despite being less than a minute long. Um, but a full match, uh, a full length match between these two is a must in the future, hopefully. Um, so yeah, nothing more a, a match that's nothing more than a facilitator for an excellent angle. Uh, Scott, what are your thoughts on this this snippet? Yeah, I couldn't really rate this. Like you said, this was more angle than match, but it made Hector feel like a legit threat, which I really liked because I was like, oh, you know, I thought this was just going to be a squash match. Finally, you know, Arn gets a good match. But um, I also like the blue trunks that Arn had for this match. Had that written down. And um, I love that Tully runs in and it shows like, you know, we got the horseman history lesson earlier. And this shows that like, you know, they're they're always running together and Tully saved the title and then. R&R ran in, and it was 
it was a hot angle to end this um in this but you know I, I just can't rate it any with anything yeah that's uh, that, that's understandable i've not i've not given it a rating and sean hasn't hasn't given it a rating either uh, just for note sean gave uh, sean didn't actually provide a rating for uh, the last match either the um what match would that be? The uh, the the Arnold Flair tag match didn't provide a rating for that, but he's probably given four four and a half stars on it, and a uh, unnamed Impact own uh, member probably gave it five. Um, <laughs> uh, Dr. G, what are your thoughts on Arn versus Hector? Yeah, I I couldn't get. I'm I'm not gonna say. I'm just gonna say an NA no rating. I I wouldn't give it a dud or anything like that. But I like the angle. I like like you said. Uh, wow, you know you kind of you almost kind of. It's one of those things you kind of send the crowd home like, oh, my gosh, we almost got to see maybe possibly Arn was going to lose the title kind of thing. And then, you know, Tully coming in and make the save and then R&R, you know, like it's just uh, one of those. It's a typical Crockett way of just kind of getting everybody involved. And and again, the horsemen showing that they stick together, you know. You may uh, hate them and everything, but they they are loyal to each other and they make sure that they come home with the gold so um i enjoyed the uh, angle part obviously um nothing bad to say about uh the match because it really was more of about the angle than anything else yeah and uh, it's a good point both you made it's made hector guerrero look like a look like a, a definite threat that if you are watching it or if you're in the arena um as you said dr g that you're thinking straight away hector guerrero within less than a minute looks like if I see that Hector Guerrero is going to um, wrestle Arn Anderson next time that I'm going, I am confident I'm going to see a title change at, at whatever uh, arena that uh, is, is sort of my, my closest one that I can see them. So very, very efficient use of the time. I think the, I think the clip on this one on YouTube is only about two and a half minutes long, if that. Uh, but very uh, 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 excellent use of the time that they were given. So, as I say, that rounds out the Jim Crockett Promotions uh, side of the podcast, but we do now close as with our customary territory spotlight. Um, and this one comes from Continental Championship Wrestling. Um, the 17th of May, 1986 episode of Continental. It's a tag team match between Tim Horner and Brad Armstrong against Tom Pritchard and Jerry Stubbs. So the video opens with Soli, uh, Gordon Soli at the podium with Armstrong and Horner and uh, Soli says this is a tag match with two singles titles on the line and somewhere a young Vincent James Russell's ears prick up. Armstrong calls out Stubbs by saying that he keeps wanting title shots but can't get the job done in singles competition so is desperate for a tag match to try and win Armstrong's Continental Heavyweight Championship. So... This match is a tag match with both Brad Armstrong's Continental Heavyweight title and Tom Pritchard's United States Junior Heavyweight title on the line, where the beltless member of the winning team wins the belt of the title holder in the losing team. For example, if Tim Horner and Brad Armstrong win, Horner will leave as the US Junior Champion, or if Pritchard and Stubbs win, Stubbs leaves as Continental Champion. I hope that makes sense. It was a bit convoluted in writing and probably explaining, but it is a bit more straightforward in practice. Maybe. So we'll see how it plays out anyway. So Jerry Stubbs calls himself Mr. Perfect, and I am immediately disgusted at that fact. 
Soli immediately confuses the situation by asking what happens with the belt of the losing team despite Armstrong being no further than two feet away from him when he was explaining it not two minutes before the match. Um, an interesting concept anyway, and I think interesting is probably the best way to describe it. Um, there's a lot of stalling to start, and the action kicks, but the action kicks off in earnest with Armstrong and not my Mr. Perfect, who, to give him credit, is fairly mobile despite looking like a fatter Vern Gagne. Armstrong takes both opponents to Arm Drag City, then stands tall after Stubbs bails to the outside after a body slam. Horner is tagged in and is the victim of an attempted double team, but manages to reverse with a hurricane runner, which gets a two count. Horner stays in control and stands tall with some beautiful drop kicks, eh, which knocks the bad guys to the outside again, and the crowd enthusiastically count along with the count out calls. Pritchard and Stubbs take control as Soli casually drops in that Ric Flair will be defending the world title next week on television. Uh, doesn't mention his opponent, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Horner gets a momentary hope spot, but it doesn't last long as Pritchard begins to beat uh, beat him down with kicks, punches, knees and elbow drops in quick succession. Uh, Gordon Soli is clearly bored at this time as he takes time to say hello to his granddaughter as Stubbs remains in control. Horner counters a telegraph back body drop with a kick to the forehead and tags in Armstrong, who comes in like a house in fire, to a nice pop. The faces take over, but Armstrong and Stubbs knock heads, uh, and Pritchard low bridges Armstrong uh, on, as he tumbles back and out to the ground. Uh, Horner is full of piss and vinegar as he attacks Stubbs, which distracts the referee uh, long enough to allow Pritchard to hit a stomp to the back of the head off the top rope to Brad Armstrong as he comes back into the ring, uh, which does enough damage to allow Stubbs to roll over to Armstrong and pin him for the 1-2-3 and the Continental Heavyweight Championship. This was my first experience of the Alabama Territory, and I thought this was a a very good uh, a very good sprint indeed. Um, I've given this one two point seven five stars. Uh, I might go back and watch it again without without having to take notes just so I could get it all all in all in one go. But uh, yeah, I, I thought this was this was this was really enjoyable. Uh, Doctor G, what are your thoughts on this match? I gave two point seven five stars too. Um, it, I mean, uh, it was funny what you said about it, Gordon Sully. He must have been uh, drinking that scotch uh, in between, uh, you know, after they left the interview. But it, it was definitely an interesting concept for that time. And I guess you know, uh, for the viewers at home, it could be a little confusing. But but in regards to the match itself, um, you know, Horner Horner's as I know Sean's going to laugh is a good hand. You know what I'm saying? You know, like that. He, <laughs> Again, not not a guy that's going to be a champion, but um, definitely could go. And obviously, Armstrong, Brad Armstrong, if he could, it, everybody said if he could talk the way he talked at the backstage, um, he probably could have been, uh, you know, definitely an upper mid car guy uh, for many years, uh, maybe even uh, contending for the world championship. But could never just put the whole package together. But um, very good in the ring and. You know, obviously you got Pritchard. I was like, Mr. Perfect. Uh, Stubbs, I was like, what? I know. There's only one Mr. Perfect, and it's not him. <laughs> <laughs> I was not happy when I heard that. I never knew there was another, uh, somebody else that went by that name. Yeah, that, that territory, that continental territory, um, which uh, Arn actually worked in at one time, he said that was his favorite place to ever work. Um, you know, because it was not long trips and you get to spend your days at the beach. Um, you know, uh, it's a, it's actually pretty good. And I have watched some of their shows before. Some of their matches are pretty good. Uh, so it wasn't a bad little territory. 
um, the Armstrongs, obviously, and uh, you know, Bullet Bob and all that. That was that was the um, that was the guys for that territory. You know, the 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 faces. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the match. I I thought it was uh, all things considered. I kind of looked at it on paper. I was like, eh, is this going to really be good? But it was actually enjoyable. I'm I'm two point seven five. You know, you can you, you split hairs. You can go three on it, I guess. But but I'm going to stick to my two point seven five. No, that's uh, that's absolutely fair enough. Um, as uh, you're, you're you're right in line with with what I went. Um, Scott, uh, give us your thoughts to to round out the round out the episode on this one. I went two and a half on this. Uh, one of the things I noticed was the Continental Ring looks like a Marlboro box uh, for cigarettes, <laughs> and that's all I could think of at first in this match. But uh, you know, then you know, I've always heard good things about Brad uh, Armstrong in this. Um, in, in his home territory. So it's nice to see him with that. He had some nice arm drags uh, to start the match off. I, I even have here, Callum, uh, Gordon got so bored. He shouted out his granddaughter and like, this has actually been a fun match, which is so weird. Um, I like the ending with Pritchard getting the knee to Brad's head and Stubbs getting the pin. Um, it was just a fun sprint. And like you said, this was, my, this was my first like time seeing a continental match as well, because like it's one of those territories I've heard so much about that I've, seen very little but it it seemed like you know they loved um tim horner and brad so um and tom pritchard which you know bounced around a lot you know we we saw him in wwf he's a trainer now uh, it, was, it was it was it was a lot of fun match that's why i went two and a half right here and surprisingly it was like the best match of this first episode first episode of, <laughs> uh, of our recording i uh, yeah well i think the if I, I, I might go and do this myself. If you want to watch more Alabama, the the, the YouTube, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was certainly the YouTube channel that had this um, show on it that we watched. Apparently, they've got like they've got years and years of of, of Alabama TV. Yeah, apparently, the guy got permission from the Fullers to put it on. He's got like a lot of the back catalogue, so it's, there's a lot of Alabama on. Uh, YouTube. So after watching this, I, I, I might take a I might take a dive into it myself just to watch bits here and there because this was this was this was a good this was a good introduction. Uh, Sean went slightly higher than us on this one. Uh, he went three stars, which um, Doctor G, you mentioned you were you were tempted to go there as well. So I think we're I think that's you know sort of two and a half to three stars. I, th- I think is the right ballpark for this one. Yeah, yeah, it really was, and like I was pleasantly shocked after the duds, like you know, or not, or even non-matches I've been forced to watch. Yeah, I think this was. I, I wasn't hoping for much, so this certainly underpromised and, and, and over-delivered big time for me. But that that match brings us to the end of this episode number forty-seven of NWA Rock and Roll. Um, Doctor G, what have you got going on for the good people of the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network? Well, uh, we got uh, the NWA Saturday Special breaking everything down as we uh, head towards uh, NWA seventy four. We kind of went on a rant uh, about the storyline booking uh, by uh, William Patrick Corrigan himself. Um, we didn't even break down this past episode uh, that dropped last Saturday. We didn't even break down power because we just felt like um, we had to go on about Tyrus facing the, uh, you know, Nick Aldis being taken out of the spot uh, to put Tyrus in against Trevor Murdoch. So um, you'll, if you want to hear a good rant, uh, 
you know, take a listen to that episode. But our episodes drop every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. And I could be reached on Twitter at Dr. G PTB. I listened to that. Uh, to, to this weekend's um, Saturday special on the, on, on the way to work this morning, and it felt like a like a, like an old school pandemic power recap because there was no power to speak of, and it was just a rant about Billy Corgan's uh, decision making. So it it, it took me back. Um, but you you both you guys made made some some valid points. So it's you the. Uh, 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 the, the number one NWA podcast in the whole of the podcast uh, sphere, uh, but also uh, very impartial. There's no, uh, you guys will call a spade a spade when it needs to, if there's some bullshit that needs to be called out, you guys are, are more than happy to do it. And it was an excellent episode. Thank you. Scott, what have you got going on for the fine people in the podcast sphere? Uh, yeah, check us out on YouTube Roulette. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun w- with that. A new one should be dropping soon. Um, just check out all the pods here on, you know, Noso, um, uh, Pop goes, to, um, Pop goes to the basement feed, uh, couch feed. Sorry, I had a brain fart right there. And I can be found on Twitter at Scott underscore Shifflet. Thank you very much, Scott. Um, for me, um, other than this one, a uh, I'm taking uh, Sean's hot seat on chicken salad. We've just recently covered. Oh, what did we cover again? That's terrible. We've covered something bad. Um, oh, SummerSlam '95. It was. I need to edit that out. We've just recently covered SummerSlam '95 um, on chicken salad. Um, I was also joined once again by Ben and Logan for the newest uh, for the episode two of Starflation podcast, which will be coming out soon, um, where we watch another. Uh, we actually go a wee bit out of our comfort zone for for the for episode number two. And the special relations will be due back in a couple of weeks as you're listening to this. Um, Rory has been and done his um, his life uh, appointments. I can't even think. Yeah, I can't think of the correct word. He's 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 had his life events, uh, and and we, we, the band should be getting back together for that for a very special re, very special reunion in the month of September. If you can uh, put two and two together as to what that special reunion could involve, um, and as ever, if you could um, please like, subscribe, or follow on uh, the various streaming services: Twitch.tv forward slash PlaceTBNation, PlaceTBNation all one word on Twitter. At, uh, at PTBN YouTube on Twitter, sorry. Um, Police Nation, all one word on YouTube. Um, and Facebook.com forward slash PTBN Life. Uh, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Uh, but after I stumble through uh, my own plugs um, at the end of the show, I think that is time to call it a day for this one. Um, so thank you once again for to Dr. G and Scott. Um, for joining us on the journey for episode number 47 we'll be back in a couple of weeks time for episode 48 where we uh, will close out may of 1986 um and we'll, we'll come back with another territory spotlight but until then uh, have a good one and we'll see you in two weeks yeah.